What up, high and wide fam? I'm Delco Dave. Joined with my partner here, the great Dave Jackson. Dave, how you doing today, man? I'm doing. I'm doing really well. And you got to stop calling me great. It's putting too much pressure on me. <laughs> here in the snowy Denver, because uh, I was bragging. It's my own fault. I, uh, I took a bunch of pictures yesterday with me with my feet up cup of coffee in my hand, a dog playing and sunshine. I was reading a book and flip-flops and I wake up this morning and we got an inch of snow and it's coming down sideways and it's windy and it's howling and uh, you know, it's Denver weather. Yeah. It's actually miserable here too. in Lincoln, it, uh, it, it was like 60 degrees all day yesterday in through the night. It seemed like, you know, we'd finally turned the corner and we were headed towards like spring. I woke yeah. up this morning, it's like 30 degrees and it's this wet, like, not just snow, but like that wintry mix, some ice rain, just wet yep. and miserable. That's what we have. Yeah, so not quite there yet for the springtime. We were close. It was, it was a tease yesterday. I was out swinging a golf club yesterday, and, you know, now I'm swinging a shovel. <laughs> yeah, I actually – so I'm not much of a golfer, um, and I'm going to a bachelor party next week. I'm only going to be there for one day because my other friend has a wedding the same weekend. So I'm actually driving – to Eastern Tennessee through the night for one day of a bachelor party, sleeping there, then driving to New Hampshire from Eastern Tennessee the following morning to go to a wedding. And then the Sunday. So I'll be there all day. It's Friday night, get in Friday night, New Hampshire all day, Saturday for the wedding and then drive back from New Hampshire to Lincoln on a Sunday. That's a, that's a bit of a hike. Yeah, it's looking just doing rough numbers. Looks like it's gonna be forty-five plus hours of driving in like ninety-six yeah. hours. <laughs> yeah, well, New Hampshire to Lincoln's probably gonna be at least twenty. Yeah, I yeah. did. I, I've done uh, I've done Lincoln to the Jersey Shore, which was eighteen and change. So I'm sure New Hampshire to Lincoln's gonna be a little bit more than that. Well, when I moved from Montreal to Denver, uh, I made three different trips by car, all one way. <laughs> Montreal, Denver, and uh, broke it up. Stayed overnight in Chicago both times, but took me about uh, a good uh, probably 16, 17 hours to Chicago. Man. And then, uh, you know, Lincoln's another, what, four hours past there? Uh, Chicago, Lincoln, Lincoln, Chicago is like eight hours, eight and a half hours. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, you're looking at, you're looking at a hike to the East Coast. Yeah, that because that's Chicago Denver run. A lot of people like to stop in Lincoln because it's almost right in the middle. It's like Lincoln to yeah. Denver is like eight hours. Chicago to Lincoln is like eight and a half. So that's usually like the stopping point for a lot of people. Yeah, it's funny because the drive from Montreal to Chicago was uh, very stressful. Actually, you know, I mean, you you come down you come down through Syracuse, um, and then you hit the what is it? The uh, 81? No, no, 81 is going down. And then you hit the 90, I think, going west. Yeah, 70 goes west, 80 goes west. So maybe it's the 70 I'm thinking of. But, I mean, you're going through. It's all old highway, lots of 18-wheelers, lots of traffic, no shoulders on the road, uh, all the way into Chicago. And then you leave Chicago and you go through Iowa, Nebraska, and it's just I mean, wide open. You put it on, You watch your dog run away for three days. <laughs> yeah, it's it's that flat flyover states, man. Oh yeah, you got that crop du- crop dusters flying. You got the big sprinklers in the in the in on the farms and everything. And you know the only real uh, landmark was the um, was the speedway in Iowa. Yeah. No, for yeah. sure, man. 
All right, well, enough about our road trips. We had uh, we were talking this week about how it was kind of a slow week, and uh, thankfully for us, Jordan Bennington gave us something to talk about. Um, and when he was uh, Blues versus the, the Wild last night, we've uh, we did cover um, match penalties with goalies before with uh, Copley, I believe it was. Um, yeah. So we, we discussed it before, but we got the box score here, and uh, Mark Andre Fleury was involved in this a little bit, so. You already know what I'm talking about, Dave. So before we show the people the clips, you know, go ahead, give us a rundown of you know what the call. I can actually read the calls off real quick if you want. But Flurry got leaving the crease. Bennington got a match penalty. Um, Bennington also got to leave the crease. Hartman got an unsportsmanlike conduct, and that's all from that same scrum at 12:25 in the second period. But uh, yeah, well, we but dealt with that. Break it down for us, Dave. We dealt with it a couple of weeks ago. I believe it was the uh, goaltender for LA who got a match penalty for using his blocker and uh, no suspension came of that, which I understood. And I agree. The referee made the right call on the ice. Um, you just can't use your blocker. The blocker is, you know, it's a hard backed piece of plastic covered in leather. Um, you get hit with that in the face. It, I mean, it's lights out, right? And the guy in L.A. gave a couple of body shots with the blocker, then dropped his glove. He got ejected. No further suspension. Uh, last night's a little different. Um, Jordan Bennington took exception to being bumped after the goal. Uh, his back was turned. I don't think he really saw what happened. But there's a there's some frustration there. You know, you go up from a 3-1 lead to now the other team just starts, you know, banging goals in on you. Um, season's not going great. So um, he takes exception. He goes over to the group of players that are celebrating the goal and delivers a one-handed, you know, one-handed punch. I'm not sure how much contact he made, but but the intent was there. Fortunately, nobody got nobody got seriously injured. But Rule 51 states that if you use your blocker in an attempt to injure someone, and that's the referee's judgment. But I think when you take a a punch at someone's head with the blocker on, you can reasonably assume that there's potential for injury. So, uh, you know, he got the, uh, he got the gate, he got the match penalty and um, player safety is looking at it today. So who knows what will come out of it. Um, it was certainly more egregious than the one in LA and uh, we'll wait to see if any suspension comes of it. Now, uh, when we talked about the one from LA, the Copley one, it was also in the second period, if I remember correctly. And you discussed back then about how, like, you didn't think a further suspension was really warranted because he got thrown out of the game and they had to play the rest of the game down already. So there was no need to do any more. Like, he had to, they had to take the penalty minutes and they had to play the rest of the game with their backup goalie. Um, similar kind of situation here, but you said it's more egregious. So what do you do you think this one's more likely to catch any kind of suspension? I think this one's more likely. Only because the one in LA, uh, he was on top of the guy. He delivered the body. I mean, they were body shots, right? He was he was kind of on top of the guy, and he was short little jabs, kind of in the guy's stomach area, and then he dropped his glove. This was this, and and in that case, the guy who was getting punched kind of started everything in LA. He sucker punched the goaltender. This case last night, uh, he went after he went after a goal scorer who was not really prepared. It was a surprise. He, I mean, he wasn't engaged with the goaltender. He was celebrating with his teammates. And all of a sudden, the blocker comes in in the head area, you know, neck, head area. So, yes, it's more egregious. Uh, potential for injury was greater. 
And I think, you know, I think the I think the fact that player safety is is I believe that they're holding a a hearing. I, yeah, I believe which, which is what I read. Um, there was no hearing announced in in the Phoenix Copley one in in LA, so that would tell me that something would probably come of it. I mean, at the minimum, a fine, but who knows? I mean, it might get a game or two. Um, injuries should not be. It should be the act and not the result that determines the suspension. And I believe that's how player safety works, even at the NHL level, is that they suspend based on the action. But if an injury results, then I think that suspension increases if there's an injury. There was no injury last night. So uh, we'll wait to see if they deem the action to be egregious enough. And if so, he might get a game or two. I mean, we all look at our watches and wait for it to come out, right? But, uh, <laughs> you know, it's not um, – for St. Louis right now, they, they, I think their playoff hopes are um, have been kind of extinguished. Um, so it's not like it's going to cost them a spot in the playoffs or something if their number one goalie gets suspended. So I, I think you'll see um, – roll the dice, right? Wait and see. We'll, we'll, we'll all know in an hour or two, but go ahead and roll it. But what was interesting afterwards was the um, attempted goalie fight. And I know I got I got beat up on social media for uh, suggesting during a, an ESPN game that uh, it's not good for the game. And we talked about that at length. You made the example of it's like two quarterbacks at, center, at 50 yard line fighting. Completely entertaining. It would be who doesn't want to see that, right? Yeah. But you know, those are your assets. I mean, Flurry is, I mean, the Minnesota's playoff hopes, they're riding on, on Flurry being, being Flurry, being the Stanley Cup winner he is. And if he breaks a hand or something in that, in that skirmish, in, in a, you know, in a fight that's really not necessary, that, that would have been instigated actually by Flurry. He skated the length of the ice uh, and uh, he got a two minute minor for that for leaving the crease. But what I, what I laughed at was how, how gentlemanly like he took his mask off and he placed it on the ice and he put his gloves down and it was like, okay, now I'm ready. You know, it was like a little medieval, you know, pull the gloves off and uh, okay, now I'm ready for my duel. And uh, it was, it was, it was fun to watch. Yeah. Well, wait to hear. I got two clips. The first one, you'll hear how excited the announcers get about the goalie fight. That's the first one I'll roll here. Rello has Eric Sinek. Got it through. They score. He found Hartman and the blues. Bennington coming after him. Hartman skated through Bennington's area and clipped him on the way by in celebration. And Flurry's over there. Come They're going to go. The way down to drop oh, the gloves. But the linesman has a hold of Bennington. Oh, let him go. Holy jumping. Marc-Andre Flurry trying to get at him on the line. The, the announcer's one of the bad. <laughs> now, you know, it happens so infrequently. Everybody wants to see a goalie fight. Yeah. <laughs> Now, the second one I have is a little bit shorter, but it shows a different angle. It pretty clearly shows the contact that Bennington gets on Hartman. He does a great job. He strips the puck from Buchnevich, and then he gets the pass back. And now watch right there. He's celebrating one knee in the air, and Bennington's out of his grief. Bennington goes right at him and got it. You can see in that second one, Bennington lands a good shot on him, I think. Yeah. Yeah, he does. And uh, I, I can I can see Fleury... You know, you're at the other end of the ice and you see your opposing your opposing number um, being the one that instigates everything. And you kind of feel, well, 
I have an obligation here to, you know, stand up for the goaltenders fraternity, I guess. And I'm going to come in and, and uh, it was funny, like, you know, he skated in and he went around the lines and he kind of tapped Bennington, like, Hey, I'm here. And then he took his stuff off and then he actually went over and he tapped the linesman as well. And in my opinion, there's no, there's no issue there. He wasn't being disrespectful to the lines. He was just basically telling the linesman, Hey, let him go. Cause I'm going to fight him. And, uh, but the linesman weren't having any of that because like I, you know, addressed earlier, you don't want the goalies breaking their hand or breaking an orbital of bone. And, you know, you win the battle, but lose the war. I mean, if Flurry wins the fight, but breaks his hand, it's really Minnesota fans are going, well, that was fun in the moment, but now what do we do? Right. So. Absolutely. Now you mentioned Flurry, uh, you know, putting his hands on the lineman. You said you didn't think it was anything malicious or no disrespect there, but yeah. like in theory, if the lineman wanted to, could, could he have told the official or thrown him out himself? Like, you know, you see players get thrown out just for saying something bad. You know what I mean? Drop too many F-bombs to get thrown out. Sure. So depending on how, and you always mention how it's a judgment call, could that have gone the other way and Flurry could have been tossed too? It could have, but it's, it's always judgment. And, and these guys at the NHL level have so much, there's so much judgment, so so much um, experience, and those two linesmen, um, they know where it's coming from. They know there was no disrespect in, intended. It was just a matter of, hey, just letting you know, I'm behind you here, ready to throw. If you want to let him go, I'm I'm here. And and you know what? In a case like that, um, the one linesman was was with Bing, uh, with was with Bennington. The other linesman was involved trying to separate the guys. Uh, when he realized that Flurry had skated length of the ice, he immediately addressed it and came over and grabbed Flurry. Let's say, for example, he'd been, you know, he'd been too busy, like he was wrestling a guy on the ice or something. In that case, the linesman holding Bennington might have had no choice but to let him go. Um, from everything I've always seen, Flurry's a gentleman. He's not going to start suckering a guy when he's being held by the linesman. But there are cases where a goaltender could come in and start throwing punches regardless of whether the linesman's holding him or not. And if that's the case and the linesman recognizes, geez, I don't have any backup. It's not fair for me to hold this one guy while he takes punches to another guy. In that case, he'd let him go. And the fight would be on. But uh, fortunately, last night, his partner realized right away that, that there was a potential. He stopped what he was doing, addressed Flurry, got them separated. And uh, in the big picture, it's probably the right thing to do. Yeah, and I imagine if you're the linesman, you're holding one person, whether it's a goalie or any player, while another person's throwing punches, you're basically complicit in the act. Like it's like the you know, correct. It's like a two bullies in high school. Somebody holding somebody's arms behind them, the other guy's just pounding his face in. The linesman's job is to keep it fair and safe. So if at some point you realize it's not fair and or safe, then you bail out. You bail out and let them at it. Yeah, so if it's safer for both individuals to let it be a fight as opposed to one guy just getting his face pounded in while you're holding his arms, yeah. like you got to make that decision sometimes. Absolutely. But fortunately for him, his partner recognized it immediately and intervened and and, and they, they prevented it. But, you know, much to the chagrin, I think, of the announcers and most of the hockey world. But, you know, I'll say it again. I think they they did a good job. Yeah, a lot of uh, there's a lot of dissatisfaction on hockey Twitter last night with uh the linesman not letting them go at it. Well, they've got to be, they've got to be a little sneakier about it. They, they just have <laughs> to get in right away. And, you know, uh, but uh, you know, you, you don't see many of them. And I think, I think that's why there's such a mystique to the goaltender battles is that uh, 
you only get one every couple of years. So, but when we yeah. do get one, it's usually a pretty good one. For sure. I, uh, I was a goalie growing up and in eighth grade. I was playing for my high school's JV team and like a five on five brawl kind of broke out down at the other end of the ice. So I started skating out of my crease and uh, I made it to my own blue line before my coach and uh, the defenseman coach, who was my pop at the time, told me to get the fuck back in my crease. And I was like, oh, OK, I'm hungry. Yeah. <laughs> well, that must mean you, that must mean you were you're a half decent goaltender, because <laughs> if you were just put in there as some target and like, oh, we got to play this guy every number of games, they might have encouraged you, you know, because then if you get tossed out, then well, now we don't have to play you. Yeah, I'd like to think I was pretty good at what I did. But yeah, I was yeah. like, okay, no problem. I'll just go back. Like <laughs> That was my closest to ever a goalie. No linesman had to separate me from anything. Right, right. I remember being in a brawl in high school. Uh, I was an undersized defenseman. Hadn't really hit my growth spurt yet. And uh, it happened in the handshake line. It just, uh, one guy said something and it was on and everybody was on everyone. And uh, it wasn't my finest moment. I was on my back holding on to my full face mask because I had two guys on me trying to yank my helmet off and just feeding me with shots. And uh, so my boys laugh at me when I tell them that story. They, they, that was my one, my one real big hockey fight where I just held on for dear life and tried not to get the crap beat out of me. Well, you had another fight too when you were an official, right? When you, a bunch of parents met you in the parking lot. Yeah, I was outside. That was on the street. Yeah. <laughs> that was street rules. And the linesman that was working with me, he jumped in and did most of the fighting while I was uh, I was trying to plan our escape. And uh, sure enough, we had the getaway car right there and <laughs> gathered our things, jumped in, and away we went. Well, s- speaking of fighting, though, I thought I saw something. You might know more about this than I do. Is the queue outlawing fighting? They're going to ban it altogether? All I saw was a headline yesterday. Uh, speculating that the queue might might ban fighting um and i honestly don't really know how i feel about that um you know i believe fighting serves a purpose in 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 the pro game i think that um it's the only sport where you got guys going around 25 miles an hour with a weapon in their hand and there's going to be frustration there's going to there needs to be an outlet for 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 that frustration and I'd much rather see two guys square off like gentlemen and then fight versus a guy taking his stick to somebody's head. Um, I'm not a fan of the staged fights, which have largely disappeared. Um, back in the day, you'd, you'd have guys come out on a face-off two minutes into the game. Nothing's happened. And they nod and they nod and you drop the gloves and like gladiators. I mean... We could do that before the warm up if you want to just show up early and we'll have you guys square off. And, um, but I really think the organic fight, the one where, you know, um, I'm coming across the blue line and the guy hits me with his elbow right in the face. Um, hey, you can't do that to me. I'm going to drop the gloves and settle it with you right now. I think there's a place in hockey for that at the pro level. Um, there's been some great videos you watch of, of brawls in junior hockey, but what people forget is some of these kids are 17 and 18 years old. If I'm a parent watching my kid play junior hockey, I know it's it's a possibility they're going to fight, but I'm really not sure I want them fighting. So, you know, uh, it's way above my pay grade to decide whether there should or shouldn't be fighting in junior hockey. Um, I guess we just live with whatever – the decision is i know it's been applauded by by quite a few people on on uh, twitter anyways um, a lot of media people um 
I'm okay with it. I mean, the game is not about fighting. The game is about big, hard body checks and speed, goal scoring. Um, so if you can't fight, then so be it. I mean, you watch you watch some really good Olympic hockey, especially in the medal rounds, and there's no fighting in those games. You still see some big, hard body checks. Yeah, I think what you you really hit it on the head there when you said that like it they're kids, right? Like I think there's yeah. a, a substantial difference between the pro level and the junior level. And if it was, you know, completely banned across all the juniors, I don't think, I don't think most people have a problem with that. Like you don't need to see, like you said, 17 year old kids fighting when they're, you know, playing junior hockey. Um, I do think that, like you said, as a place at the pro level, because I think part of it comes from officiating too, because I think the NHL officials have one of the toughest jobs compared to all the sports. Like it's the fastest sport. It's constantly moving. You mentioned 25 miles an hour, things are going to get missed, right? So I think pro hockey players kind of need to be able to deliver some of their own justice. Um, I know some people call it frontier justice and stuff like that, but if, if a team feels that slighted, you know, that a couple of egregious calls been missed or it's only going one way, you know what I mean? That's their way of holding some accountability. Like our guys are getting run right now. We haven't seen a call yet. Like we're going to take matters in our own hands so that they stop running our guys. Like we, for whatever reason, I mean, it's a tough game to officiate. So for, I mean, refs make mistakes. We've talked about it before. So I'm not saying the refs aren't doing their job, but if a team feels that way, that's their, that's the only way they can balance it out. Like, look, like leave my guys alone. You haven't got called yet, but I'm going to come settle it right now. And I think there's times where uh, if you're a new player in the league, Sometimes players take liberties with you, even if they're even if they're legal, like they're not doing anything illegal, but they're always hitting you like they're always just keying on you, always just keying on you. Sometimes it's incumbent upon that player to say, listen, I'm not taking this anymore. You're going to come at me. You are gonna have to pay the price. And and I, I look back to someone like and I wasn't even in the league back then. But when Ray Bork was a rookie. Ray Bork was a phenom. I mean, he's a Hall of Famer. He's a perennial all-star. He had to fight quite often in his rookie year. And I didn't realize that because I wasn't in the NHL yet. But I watched videos of Ray Bork. And he basically said at a a very early part in his first rookie year, I'm not taking this anymore. You want to try and run me? You're going to have to fight me. And Ray Bork handled himself pretty well in those fights. And I, I don't think Ray Bork ever had to fight again. You know what I mean? And then, and you also look at hockey and people go, oh, well, football's pretty tough. Yeah, football's tough. I mean, I wouldn't want to play football because the whole name of the game is knocking the crap out of each other. But no one breaks their nose or loses their teeth in football. You get a, you get a face mask on. In hockey, you know, you get an elbow in the face, you get a stick in the face. I mean, that causes damage and it really pisses you off. So um, you come at me, you knock my teeth out. I don't care if you're getting a penalty or not. I want some retribution and, and I think that's, it's a good outlet, but harking back to junior hockey, I've talked to kids and you can talk to guys in the NHL now that they go to their first junior training camp, 15, 16 years old. And they're playing against men. They're playing against veteran 20 year olds who are fully developed with a beard. And here's this kid just turned 16. um, Hasn't finished growing yet. He doesn't have man strength. And the coach is telling him, hey, listen, if you want to make this team, you dump it in that guy's corner and, you know, figure it out yourselves. So the kid does it and he gets his lights punched out. Um, it's probably not probably not good for the brain. 
Uh, it's not good for his self-esteem. It, it's not good for anything. So um, I think we're in agreement here that when you hit pro hockey, when you're an adult, you do what you want to do. But in junior hockey, let the powers of be decide what's going to happen in their league. Yeah, no, I agree with that 100%. Um, so we, uh, we're winding down now. So, uh, Dave, if you want to touch on the dog, dog, the dog's like, I don't want you to end yet. <laughs> He's enjoying the show. <laughs> He's enjoying the show. Right. Well, no, we were, we were talking about, uh, the topic we're going to cover and go more in depth in the off season, but we're talking about training for the officials, young officials coming up, what they go through. So, uh, want to give us some insight on that, Dave, as we, uh, wrap it up. Sure. Well, we can absolutely have a in-depth, uh, uh, podcast in the summer. We'll, we'll just deal everything, how, how you become an official, what they what they go through to get there, what, what their day is like, uh, the rigors of the season. Um, but just, you know, I just posted something on Twitter. There was a, um, um, a basketball referee who got into a altercation with parents. High school basketball, the kids were 10 years old. It was a, it was a girls basketball game. And referee had to run a gauntlet trying to get get out of the gymnasium and it's all on film I, I just posted that on my on my twitter account i'm just like like what's going on with 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 these adults who who feel the that it's, it's their right to accost or criticize these officials whether it's on a basketball court a baseball diamond or or or, or, or an ice rink it's just it's just not right are there bad calls absolutely i mean I remember doing my first game as a referee. I was 14 years old. I had no idea what I was doing. I missed calls. I, I, I made wrong calls. Um, I was awful. But I can't imagine having to come off the ice at 14 and 15 years old and having six parents there just preventing me from leaving. It, it just, it just, it's just not right. I We addressed it earlier. I, I had it happen to me when I was 18. Um, that was disconcerting, but I just think it doesn't matter if the kid wins or loses. It really doesn't. It's all about adversity and how you deal with adversity. So let's say your kid's team loses. Are you going to walk into work the next day and have all your coworkers laugh at you and go, ah, your kid lost last night? I mean, nobody cares. No, In fact, your kid probably cares less than you do about losing. He wants to go get an ice cream and play some video games when he gets home. So I don't understand why these parents live and breathe and die with every call made on the ice by the officials. I understand if the referee gets, lets the game get out of hand and, and maybe it becomes a dangerous situation, then you might have a valid reason for being upset at the officiating and going, that official created an unsafe environment for my child. That I understand. But just a call, a missed call here or there, or maybe calls that are made that, that shouldn't have been made, do everybody a favor. Do yourself, do your own reputation a favor, and just chill out. Chill out and let the kids play. Let them let them overcome adversity of a bad call. And, you know, things aren't always going to go your way. So it's a great lesson in life, and that's what I'm signing off with. Yeah, and, I mean – you brought up a good point. Like these are kids that are officiating a lot of these games. Like, you know, they're officiating games of kids that are four or five years younger than them, but they're still kids themselves, 14, 15, 16 years old. And, uh, I actually, 
the whole topic of parents involved in youth sports is actually something that I've uh, had some discussions with some friends and buddies of mine because like my parents' generation is basically the generation that kind of created the participation trophy and everybody kind of dumps it on the millennial generation. Like, Oh, you kids grow up with participation trophies. And I'm like, yeah, but like I was a kid, I wasn't deciding this stuff. Like there was parents that couldn't accept the fact that their kid wasn't the next Wayne Gretzky or Michael Jordan. And they, their kid wasn't that good. So they went ahead and made sure everybody got trophies to make themselves feel better. Don't dump it on the yeah. kids that were playing the sport that like, oh, you know, this this is how you were raised for participation trips. But, yeah, it's because the insecure parents that couldn't handle the fact that they weren't raising the next great one. And that's why they came up with that. Like, that's actually something that I've parents being involved in youth sports. is actually something I've had, like, debates with, like, my friends. So you're kind of dumping on me because I'm considerably <laughs> older than you are. So <laughs> I'm probably the same age as your parents. <laughs> probably. And, uh, <laughs> and I, I've got a theory on that. It's kind of cyclical. I mean, you go back to, um, like, my parents loved me, and and they did every they sacrificed, they worked, they worked hard jobs to get me everything I could. But like, when it came to helicoptering or micromanaging what I did, it was like, no, I left the house at nine in the morning and it's like, be home when the streetlights come on, and they had no idea where I was, right? And then my generation says, well, you know what? My parents never really, I mean, took any interest in like, I mean, if I couldn't make a practice, right, had to get a ride to a game, my parents weren't setting that up for me. <laughs> it was like, well, you should have arranged a ride for the game. I'm not doing it for you. <laughs> right. So, I mean, I had to call my coach. I had to call kids on my team. Hey, can your dad pick me up? Uh, I mean, I need a ride to the game. What did I do for my kids? Well, I mean, I had their schedule. I made sure their bag was packed. They didn't forget their skates or gloves. I made sure they had a ride to the rink and all. All that they were like pro hockey players. All I had to do was show up, <laughs> show up and play because Dad's got everything arranged for him, right? So I'm curious to know if it's cyclical because now they had everything done for them. If and when they have kids, are they going to go, dude? It's not my problem. I'm used to having it done for myself. Figure it out yourself. And it'll yeah, go back to being being like you know oh uh, you know my grandson's gonna have to go oh i gotta figure stuff out myself or my granddaughter's gonna have to figure out things out themselves i mean unless grandpa wants to do it for them i was just uh, about to say that grandpa's gonna get a phone call that's that, yeah, that'll be a which, phone call which i probably will because i'm a big sucker for that but um you know i i'm just it's funny how it goes in cycles like that so who knows but i, I you're right i'm not a big fan of everybody gets a trophy um but i'm also not a big fan of of it's all about winning especially when you're young. I think it's all about building a culture, a culture of, of, of being a gentleman or, or a, uh, even, you know, in girls hockey, like just being a good person. And if I have a choice of my child playing on a team with a coach who's a clown who just berates officials and berates his players, but wins versus a coach with a, you know, an average winning record, but really creates quality young adults and instills values in them. That's the coach I want my kid playing for. Yeah, no, because, absolutely. because when you're, I mean, I believe as a parent, it's your job to do that. But when your child's not with you, you want someone else in their life that's going to instill the same values that you value. So. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of the things you hear in, uh, 
just in life in general, surround yourself with good people. It's the same thing with kids. Like, you know, you're not, as a parent, you can't be there all the time. So like you want them to be around good people, whether it's good teachers, good coaches, whatever, friends, neighbors, like you want them to be around good people that are going to, you know, put the right kind of values in them. Absolutely. Well, that, uh, that looks like it's it for us, Dave. Um, hi, wide fam. Have a good one. Hope everybody enjoyed the show. See you guys next week. (laughs) 